0: Some of you may remember that john f kennedy the american president that was tragically assassinated when i was a little boy was actually he was a war hero and the story makes amazing reading he was a pt boat captain and his assignment was to sink japanese destroyers in the south pacific but his boat was run over one dark night by a destroyer a couple of the crew were killed immediately and all of them were plunged into the sea and in peril in the in the darkness of the of the night he got his crew to swim back to the wreckage of the boat and after he had done that and kind of got them together one of them was terribly burned a couple of them were were horribly injured one of them he took a belt and put it in his mouth and tied it to his life vest and he and and he swam to an island it's a long way away pulling this uh sailor with him and when they got to that island they they weren't it was, it was uninhabitable and so they eventually had to swim to another island they eventually swam to three different islands and then he he, he won an award at the purple heart a, a marine award a navy award his dad would make a big deal out of that in his life and would say would often talk about what a war hero his son John F Kennedy was but Kennedy always downplayed it he said two of my uh, friends died I-, I wasn't a hero one day later in life they asked him they, 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 they asked him about that incident and they, they said tell us the story about how you became a war hero He said, I didn't have any choice. They sunk my boat, (laughs) so I had to swim for my life. Now, um, like it or not, we are at war right now. You are, whether you like it or not, with spiritual evil. We live in a time that's spiritually dangerous. And according to the Bible, the times are going to become even more spiritually dangerous Until Jesus returns, there may be pockets of revival in places of the world. There even could be a worldwide awakening. But overall, things are going to get more and more spiritually dangerous until Jesus comes back. And you will see that in the text today in very graphic terms. You probably know we're preaching through the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And we are in chapter 13, one of the most amazing, frightening, vivid passages of of the Bible in God's Word. And you you probably know, if you've been paying attention, that this is how the revelation works. John, the apostle, was on the Isle of Patmos, imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, and had a vision of the Lord. And the first chapter, he had this beautiful vision of Jesus. And in chapters 2 and 3, Jesus gives letters to each of the seven churches of Asia. In chapter 4 and 5, John is given a vision of the throne room of God to see that even though things on earth are chaos, things in heaven are centered around the throne and around the Lamb. Then in chapter 6 through chapter 18, you have a long description of a period of time called the tribulation. And this is the period of time that we're describing right now. And characters are introduced during this time of the tribulation. And, and, and last week in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, we were introduced to a beast from the sea, if you recall. Back in chapter 12, if you recall, we were introduced to the dragon who is who is Satan. And now, chapter 13, the beast from the sea. This is review, chapter 13, verse 1. I saw a beast rising out of the sea. Ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying who is like the beast who can fight against it and the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months it opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against god blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also allowed to make war on the saints to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation and all who dwell on the earth, all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name was not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he will be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. That is... Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and a description of the beast from the sea. Let's review. Last week we studied the first 10 verses of this chapter, and we saw that during the tribulation, a man would rise to power, and he would be called, other places in the Bible, the Antichrist. There are many who are Antichrists. This is the Antichrist. He'll represent and control a godless, evil empire. He'll be wounded or, or, uh, or, and, and resurrect or fake a resurrection. And then he'll gain the worship of people all over the world. Imagine that. Inspired or possessed by Satan himself or by demons, he's able to get people to worship him and worship the devil. He'll be a powerful order. He'll make war on God's people. This is review. And more than any other time in the history of the people of God, they will need to be prepared to suffer. They will need to be prepared to die some christians believe that the church is the rapture of the church when the church goes to be with the lord will happen before this time begins some good christians who have a high view of the bible believe it will be sometime during the tribulation some believe it will be at the end of the tribulation at our church we've agreed that's a matter of discussion and conversation and study so if we miss the rapture thanks be unto god if we live through the tribulation, be prepared to suffer and be prepared to die. And, and, and even if we don't live through the tribulation, the scriptures are really plain that all believers should be ready to suffer. I, I remember the last time I preached here, I said that. that was one of the last things I said was, now, Christians should be ready to suffer. And then in a mild form of suffering, I spent two weeks doing that, and I thought of many of our congregation here. Who continually suffer who are currently very sick or have heartaches this is what the scriptures said if you're a follower of Jesus the one who is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief if you're a follower of Jesus who suffered you will suffer too in this world now that's review let's look at this second beast. they have in Revelation 13 it's easy to tell you're being introduced to two persons that are called beasts. The first beast is the Antichrist. We're gonna see that the second beast that's introduced in Revelation 13, 11 through 18 is a person as well who works with the Antichrist, who works with the devil. And, and he's called, not in this text, but a bit later in Revelation, he's called the false prophet. And, and one of the ways to look at this um, is to see is to think about this section of Scripture, and I'm going to read it here in a moment, verses 11 through 18, and watch for another beast, again, the false prophet. Watch for signs of the beast. He's going to do signs, verses 13 and 14. Watch for the image of the beast. There's going to be an image of the first beast raised up in the temple. Watch for the mark of the beast, and now we get to talk about that, about which Christians have speculated for centuries. The mark of the beast. This is in this text in verses 16 and 17 and we'll explain that today and we're going to talk about the number of the beast remember six 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 the number of the beast what's that all about we'll talk about that today that's in this text now let's read the second half of this text and we're going to notice some things about this beast from the earth and then we're going to ask the question like god's people should always ask okay we're we're having babies we're raising babies in this world what does this mean to us, this great evil that's going to happen? How should we think about that? I'm a man. I lead a family. I have a wife. I need to be a good help and influencer. I'm a grandfather. I'm a grandmother. I, I'm a worker among people in where I work that don't know the Lord. What does this mean to me? So we're going to ask, what does this stuff mean? But, but what, would it, what should it mean to us? I've been doing a great deal thinking, you, you might want to buckle your seatbelt today so because of that two weeks to prepare this message so now we're in chapter 13 verses 11 through 18 listen to what the bible says about that that second person that's called a beast then i saw another beast rising out of the earth it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound is healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is always allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image. For the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain also it causes all both small and great both rich and poor both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name this calls for wisdom let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of man it is the number of a man and his number is six 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 now now four things Four things about this beast. First, the beast from the earth is the false prophet. He's called this in Revelation sixteen thirteen, Revelation nineteen twenty, Revelation twenty ten. Notes on this message are online if you want to study afterward or look at them. He, uh, he's identified three times as the fo- later in the book as the false prophet, though he's not called the false prophet here. So you have this demonic trinity: Satan and the beast. And the false prophet that are operating together during this time of tribulation on, on the earth the first beast or the antichrist was from the sea the bible says that beast from the sea beast from the land which bible students take to mean from the sea or or a, a, a symbolic reference to from among the gentiles or from the abyss so an, obviously an evil personage who is from among the Gentiles. And then the second is from the land, or not, in other words, not from the abyss, not from hell, not, not, not from heaven, but a man, a human being, a human being. And, and so the beast is not from heaven or hell, but earth, he's, he's a religious and economic ruler, you see, from what he does, inspiring people to worship and forcing them to do so with economic clouts. The horns indicate rule as they're symbolic of rule in the Bible. But the absence of crowns shows his rule isn't political but it's religious that's there in verse 11 i saw another beast rising out of the earth two horns like a lamb, like a lamb it spoke but it spoke like a, a dragon so here you have this this counterfeit again and in, in false religion and in a false teaching in our time in your life when you read the internet when you watch social media for religious teaching when you listen to people talking about religious teaching false teaching is going to endure to the end this person is impersonating the lamb but his speech gives him away he speaks like a dragon everybody gets that so he's a member of the satanic trinity satan the beast the false prophet and he impersonates jesus but he is inspired and filled by the devil or demons and he's from the earth, the land, not heaven. That's a key thing in this passage. Can I give you a little tip? What, what people tend to look for when we study a passage like this is spectacular, sensational descriptions and identifications of who the Antichrist is and what 666 means. And that can confuse us and keep us from seeing the main thing, the, the plain thing even though that's really interesting it isn't necessary for us to specifically name the antichrist for us to get the idea and to be able to respond the way God wants us to respond responsible students of the Bible responsible teachers of the Bible don't spend a lot of time speculating about that when the truth of the passages lies right on the surface and I think that's what you're gonna see but first of all this first, this first truth is obvious this second beast that comes from the land is called the false prophet now the second thing of four things i want you to see the false prophet will be allowed to perform signs to deceive think about that all throughout time false teachers have had ways of authenticating their message false signs false miracles false results if you will this will intensify in the end look at verse 13, it it performs great signs, this it meaning the second beast, the false prophet, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. If I was speaking at camp, that would be a cool thing to have in my backpack. Wouldn't it? Those girls are in the back row, those junior high girls are talking. Bring down a little fire right now. Boom! Some of... Someone is sleeping in church, boom! You know, that would be pretty effective. And the signs that it was allowed to work in the presence of the beast to deceive those who dwell upon the earth. Listen, this is chilling, this is frightening, this is serious. Precious people, people like the people that you work with and care about and that you love, are right now being spiritually deceived and drawn into Satan's trap so that he can destroy them in hell forever. What's even more frightening is that he's not going to leave our most precious loved ones alone. He's not going to leave our children alone. He's going to try to deceive. If you can get them to believe something that's not true but through whatever means, can I tell you something else? He's not going to leave you alone. He hates you. He wants to destroy everything that's precious about you he wants to take a piece of you he wants to take a piece of your family he wants to take one of the people that you love he wants to deceive them he wants to defile them he wants to damn them if he can and if you've been around for a while you know that even after people come to know the lord and he can't have them he's still going to try to damage them this is serious stuff you see him doing this here false signs false wonders will deceive many into a deadly loyalty to satan especially as the world comes to its close not all religion is good we just can't say let's just get along with everybody and let's agree with everybody that would be the worst kind of folly it would show that you're not reading your bible carefully there is false religion in the world now Christianity today to christendom if you will today is a zoo of bizarre false prophets and false teachings and false prophecy i, I saw uh, last week a four hour video documenting bizarre predictions that christians have made that would come to pass in 2020 usually involving the presidential election and other things just bizarre just crazy off the wall fruitcake nut bake predictions and this is what Lost people who need the Lord are seeing people making these uh, unfounded, irrational, unreasonable, unbiblical, extra biblical, crazy predictions. None of them predicted the stuff that would happen in 2020. If, there, if God was giving people insight into the future, why would He misdirect them? And why would He not tell them the amazing things that were going to happen? would be really handy to know some of the stuff that was going to happen in 2020. But these false prophets didn't know these things. They predicted other things. There is, there is throughout, there has been throughout time false teaching, false signs, false wonders. And even though it would just seem like we could we could all get along like a Norman Rockwell print and agree with every kind of iteration of religious teaching. That would be grand folly. That would be damning for some of the people that we love, maybe even for us. We can't do that. One of the things that the Bible teaches pastors over and over again is it's their responsibility to withstand false teaching. One of the things the Bible teaches every believer over and over again, there's seven major passages in the New Testament that teach there's going to be a last time, a last day's falling away apostasy, a departure from the faith, false religion, false teaching, false profession, false signs, and social media platforms right now, they're just exploding with false teaching right now. When when I was a boy, I remember hearing, you know, warnings about false teaching. Usually they were aimed at, at, the, at, at mainline churches that had followed the seminaries into, into theological liberalism, denying the deity of Christ, or denying the authority of the scripture, or denying the virgin birth, or divine, denying the possibility of miracles, or denying uh, the salvation by grace through faith alone. And and generally, that was kind of a a musty-smelling kind of false teaching, kind of an old, I I, I knew a liberal once, but I've never met, I'm talking about theological liberalism here, but I've actually never met one kind of a thing. Not that way anymore. You have a Twitter account? It's probably a bad idea. This is discouraging. You you have a Facebook account? Are you, are you, are you have a spiritual pulse right now? Are you awake Are you paying attention are you listening are you live because if you are then you see the 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 landscape is it's it's like a a minefield of explosive false teaching everywhere we look and this doesn't mean that we should condemn everything but it certainly doesn't mean that we should receive everything that we should commend everything god's people wise people i know this has been the history of this church has tried to aim very carefully down the center where Where the truth of the scripture is so that we don't add to the scripture and so that we don't take away from the scripture now this is serious so when we read a passage like this it should stimulate our abhorrence for evil we should think this is a serious matter and it's threatening people that we love now the third thing about the false prophet in this passage verses 14 the second part of verse 14 and 15 this is a really odd duck thing the false prophet will make an image Of the Antichrist. Make an image, like idol, image. When an image of the beast is erected in the temple, this is in verse 14. By the signs it's allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Can you imagine? And so this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about the image of the beast. It's what the Old Testament prophet daniel referred to as the abomination that desolates it's mentioned in daniel chapter 9 it's mentioned in daniel chapter 11 it's amazing how these books complement one another jesus quotes daniel's prophecy in the uh, in what's called the olivet discourse that's recorded in matthew 24 just a few days before jesus dies this is super important he gets his disciples aside and he says and they say what's going to happen in the future and he gives them a a, a bit of a rundown about what's gonna happen in the future. And one of the things he does is he goes back to this Daniel prophecy and he says, watch for this to happen. In other words, Jesus personally taught his disciples at a very critical time to pay attention to the teachings of Daniel, the prophecies of Daniel, that would come to literal fulfillment in a time in the future. And this has not happened yet. So like all the other promises of the Bible that have been fulfilled literally, This promise of the Bible will be fulfilled literally. People will mock it, but it will happen. Jesus said it would happen. Paul mentions it in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. Read these passages. People will be forced to worship the beast upon the pain of death. That's the third thing I wanted you to see. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see now. The false prophet will force worship of the beast and the image of the beast. This is in verses 16 and 17. It causes all both small and great, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead. What is supposed to be on your right hand and forehead? Well, symbolically, your right hand and your forehead should be marked by what? By the law of God. This goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. Jesus' followers have the word of God not literally on their forehead or on their hands, but in, in spiritual reality on their head and on their forehands satan wants to counterfeit that he wants to co-opt that he wants your loyalty verse 17 so that no one can buy or sell unless he has that mark that is the name of the beast or the number of his name so the false prophet will force the worship of the beast the image of the beast satan knows the unprincipled men and women unregenerate men and women will always choose their own gain over what's right. Lois, you remember this. Years ago, we had a showdown at the OK Corral thing. Sometimes that happens. Not me and Lois. She was on my side. Um, we, we had, we had a, 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 a time, a moment that came when it was important that godly people do what was obviously right to do. And we had a farmer, I remember, at our time in the church, a nice fella, good old farm boy, and a large uh, farm operation and i liked him he liked us we, we they were they were nice people and in fact i baptized him but when it, it came time to make a decision to do what was right i knew that he would do what was right but i found out later that he betrayed the cause and he 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 decided to do what was wrong and he kind of went over on the dark side i was like oh no i went to see him And I went to his farm and I said to him, what happened? He says, you gotta understand, I live here. This is where I live. He says, see that farm over there? He goes, I got a lot of debt, a whole lot of debt. To farm today, you gotta buy big equipment, I got a lot of debt, I gotta service that debt. See those acres over there? When that man retires from farming, he's gonna let me farm his acres. I gotta have those acres. So I gotta stay on his side. Do you see what I'm saying? He chose financial gain over doing what was right. I'm not saying he was lost. I don't think he was lost. But I am saying this. One of the things that we're going to have to watch for is deception that comes in really good-looking spiritual religious terms. And one of the things that we're going to have to watch for is financial pressures on us. Are you willing to suffer? And wh- what I'm talking about is are you willing to lose income over what's true. Are you willing to be poor or hungry in order to still be faithful to what's true? It may come to that. It may come to that in your lifetime. Prepare for that. If you read your Bible, the Bible says for Christians to prepare for that, there'll come a time where where those that live in this time will be marked as saints or marked by the beast, forehead or hand. Now, what is this 666 all about? What is that all about? Okay, okay, let's, verse 18. This calls for wisdom, Notice this calls for, is a phrase that happens in verse 10. This calls for endurance and faithfulness to the saints. Notice in chapter 14 and verse 12, you have a similar phrase. Here's a call. Okay, so these are critical phrases because we're kind of at a turning point. This is explanation, and now this is application. Now, this is the truth. Now, this calls for, this is what we should be listening to. Okay, what does this mean to me, God? You know, I live in the here and now. i got to make a living for my family. I gotta have help with my problems right now what does this mean to me God says when you read this this is a call verse 10 for the endurance and faith of the saints when you read this you should say God strengthen me to endure with faithfulness to be courageous and strong to be willing to suffer to stand for God no matter what what else does it call for it calls verse 18 for wisdom and understanding okay so if he's calling for wisdom and understanding then wisdom and understanding are possible. It's possible for you to know what you need to know. Let me tell you what it's plain, you need to know. The temptation is, who is this mark of the bees? Who is this, and what is this 666? And what does that all stand? Does it stand for a computer or a person or my brother-in-law? You know, what does it stand for? But the question that we should always ask is, what is the plain thing? Because, say it with me, The plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. What's the thing that's plain? Well, who is the Antichrist, and what does 666 mean? Is the Antichrist alive today? Many things are plain things. Plain things are the main things. And the plain thing is that this Antichrist is a man who is influenced by Satan or demons. A man, and a couple of things, tell us that. It says he's a man, this is the antichrist now comes from among, among the gentiles inspired or filled by the devil and specifically later on he's given a number and the number is a number what does the bible specifically say here it is the number of a of a man and that's a plain thing that's a clear thing that's interpreted in the text and so it means something and i'll explain that here in a moment but what we can easily do here is we can be distracted by looking for some sensational speculative you know interpretation and miss the the clear and and the main thing and what about that six 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 what what does that mean in the ancient world letters had numerical equivalents. this is called gematra or gematra and this was true in greek and hebrew and in latin and so through the years, much ink has been spilled with, with to make possible identifications. You can sell books doing, doing this. Problem is, if you work hard enough, you can fit any name in there you want. You can fit all your political opponents in there if you want to. You can fit your mother-in-law in there if you want to. Your mother-in-law can fit you in there if she wants to. So hundreds of eager but embarrassed students of prophecy before they uh, would, would tell us, uh, before we get too loose about handling this text it's it's a way to embarrass yourself guessing who this person is. Here is my word of counsel you'll hear this from me over and over again. This is good counsel. Avoid sensationalism. I mean, the coming of Jesus is sensational enough. Avoid sensationalism, the threat to your loved ones to literally worship Satan is sensational enough. Lewis and I were lying in bed last night, and I was just thinking, like I often do, about our grandchildren, a growing number of little grand people. And I said to Lewis, can you imagine one of your grandchildren with a mark of the beast? Can you imagine one of your loved ones pulled into, deceived into worshiping Satan and destroyed forever. This is what we're talking about. Do you realize that with the simple truth of the Bible that you know, the, li- the story anybody can tell, the gospel story, even a child can tell it, you can set people free forever from bondage to Satan and an eternity in hell. You can tell people about Jesus I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, I'm going to have to hang on to God and I'm going to have to behave and I'm going to have to not make a mistake. I'm going to have to not sin. Listen carefully. You need to hear the gospel better because Jesus came to save sinners, like Paul said, of whom I am chief. And no matter what it is that darkens your past, no matter what it is that you wrestle with right now, Jesus is powerful. He can set you free and put his mark on you make you secure forever even while you're stumbling forward we're all stumbling hey listen will you listen to me Uh, we're all gussied up for church today but all of us are a mess a moral a spiritual a mess all of us the one that's sitting here saying not me watch out for that person (laughs) they didn't even get it yet we all are saved by the righteousness of jesus christ So you might be right now struggling with drug addiction or gluttony or anger or or anxiety or depression or many of the just the darkest things that darken human souls but jesus is conquering king over everything and he is god and there's a man who will be there are men and women that will be influenced by demons possessed by demons influenced by demons organized even have false signs and such to try to deceive you and pull you away from him. But don't be pulled away from him. He's your only hope. So my, my counsel is avoid sensationalism. Being being delivered by God from sin is sensational enough. Being saved by grace through faith is sensational enough. Being a child of a living God is sensational enough. Jesus is wanting one day coming back to rapture the church (laughs) that's sensational enough gonna set up an everlasting kingdom and set us free from ever from the things that bound us that's sensational enough don't speculate you don't need to speculate you have the word of god in your lap you have all the truth you haven't acted on all of that yet right you haven't perfected all of that yet and don't be involved in superstition But just don't miss the plain truth through sensationalism or speculation or superstition. What we know now is that this person will be a man. Tribulation saints at that time will be able to take what the word of God says here and they will be able to recognize who they should not worship. And if you are paying attention, you should be able to recognize who you should not worship right now too. And you should be able to recognize who you should worship right now too. Maybe the best way to understand the number until things come into focus later is this way. In Revelation and in the Bible, it's very clear the number seven is the number of completion and the number six falls short of completion. Six in the Bible is the number symbolic of a man. He's created on the sixth day of creation. The text says in verse 18 is the number of the man. Chapter 13 and verse 11 says that he comes look at verse 11. He came out of the earth. And so the other thing is this. When I was a boy in the, in the 70s and I listened to prophetic teaching, you know, much ink is spilled over the, identif- the the possibility of this universal personal identification system, you know, in order to, to restrict people from buying or selling. And back then that was great speculation. You pastors would say, we don't really know what this is, but it sounds like in the end time there will be a universal personal identification system it would be possible to like put a barcode or something like you know how pastors would always say that does that sound like speculation now absolutely not everybody knows that that absolutely can happen and and uh and we know that in modern times a universal personal identification system is not only possible but it's in place in much of the world so the Bible says, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. If I haven't overkilled this. What that means is simply this. The Antichrist will be man, not God. It will be obvious to those who are discerning when the time comes. Be prepared to be discerning when the time comes. Have discernment. Have discernment. Now what is this? So now we've talked about what the passage says. Let's talk about what it means before we go home today. What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Now, give me your heart a moment, will you? Uh, I want to share an important application of this truth for our church and for you and for your family. Think about this. There is the reality of false teaching, demonically inspired false teaching, until, until the very end. Think about that. that, that there, this there's there's great evil in the world and it's going to intensify toward the end and the and the evil will have a religious form have i made that clear And and it's going to go after genuine followers of jesus and the question is will you be among the faithful this is kind of a dark passage isn't it thank the lord though that the chapter divisions aren't a part of the original bible so if we if we want to we can kind of read a little bit ahead you want to read a little bit ahead just to get your breath Verse 14. Like you could easily get to the end of chapter 13 and say, Oh my goodness, people are going to receive the mark of the beast. They're starving, they're dying, they're dying as martyrs, or they're going over on the other side and it's demons and a, a demonic, uh, a ho- horrifying and powerful demonic organization is going to be sweeping the earth. And then Revelation 14 1 says, And then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. On Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with him, now this is nothing in Revelation has said this before. This is like, wait a minute, the lamb is on the earth? It's it's skipping forward, it's saying, and and with him 144,000 who had the name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven. Like the roar of many waters, like the sound of thunder, the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing together, singing a new song before the Lamb and before the four living creatures and before the elders, and no one can learn this song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. It is those who have not defiled themselves with women. They were virgins, these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In other words, hint, hint, we're, we're coming into some really, really good stuff. There are going to be those who don't defile themselves. There are going to be those who are faithful to God. In this case, the 144,000 young Jewish men who are morally pure, who are doctrinally sound, who faithfully follow the Lamb, and they stand and sing with the Lamb. And, you, and there will be others in this tribulation who die, but they die faithful. And they lay down their lives for God. And they're resurrected unto life to be with God forever. Now, w- let me ask you this: which which of these words describes you when it comes to passages like this? When we're reading a, a passage like Revelation 13 and all it, what words I've thought about you this week? And, and, I, and I would ask you to answer that. How many of these words describe you? Confused. Hmm. Confused. Or or, or here's another one: curious as in, that's interesting, mildly curious, or careless. How many people that you, you, I watch, I study these things, and then I watch people come and go thinking, I wonder how many people really care about what is really ultimate, what is really the most important thing. How many trinkets you gather, when it comes down to the end, all those trinkets are going to get burned up. And all that stuff that we do, which is fine, legitimate things, maybe legitimate things, but not ultimate things. And we're only just like a little curious. Or maybe, are, does this describe you? Callous. Yeah, yeah, I heard it before. Not all that interested. Doesn't really move me. Don't really care which team my grandkids are on. Huh. Don't really care if my neighbor goes to hell. Don't really care if I'm among those who have the mark of God on them. Just kind of entertaining myself. Kind of just building my little kingdom. Hey, what what word describes you? How about this? Sober, cautious. That should describe you. This should make you serious. This should make you joyful, but but a serious Christian. Sober Christian. If you will, cautious. The scriptures say this should make you courageous. It's calling you to courage like hey we're all gonna die someday will you die with the name of Jesus on your lips will you live and die faithful to him will you be a testimony to your last breath will you ask God to help you do that and then I thought about this what about confident hey I know what's going on and I have confidence in the Lord and here's why because great evil will intensify there will be a religious form of evil this will go after genuine followers Think, think about this. Another question. Who, who are you influenced by most? We're all influenced by. We all have influences. Or not. All of us have influencers. All of us do. Who do you admire? And who do the people you admire admire? Who are the people you are following following? Am I making sense? You have, you, you ever, this is a big thing now, Instagram influencers. Right, I've heard of you, I've heard of this. You have lots of followers on Instagram because your home decor is like just really lots better than other people's home decor. And so you can go on and you can keep up a lively banter of taking videos of yourself, talking about home decor for hours at a time. Believe me, I know this is true. And these are influencers, you like, "Hey, you want to represent my stuff?" Because you're influencing thousands. You know, I'm kind of poking fun at that. But that's true in anything. Tom Brady, if he was in the room today, we would all kind of want his autograph, wouldn't we? I mean, except for the Michigan State people, we would all want his autograph. If Kirk Cousins, there you go. If Kirk, hey, if Kirk Cousins was in the room today, I'd be sitting down and he would be speaking. Not kidding. It would be, who, who, but who are your influencers? And who's influencing your influencers? And where are they headed? Because you're headed where they're headed. People, listen, you're going to go where your influencers are going. You're going to end up like your influencers end up. Who are you being influenced by? Wouldn't it be a wise thing to find people who are powerfully influenced by God and by the things of God and by the love of God and by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit of God and by the truths of God and by the things that God says are true about the future. If I was a young lady today, I would find another young lady who's headed, who's following hard after God and I want to be like her. I have men in my life that I believe are going to fit, that either have, or I believe they are going to finish faithful. Those are the men that I admire. I admire the men who admire the one who is our Savior, Jesus, and I admire Jesus. And so just these things, while I have just a few minutes, just these things is important for us that we, uh, we practice what, what. Al Moler has called theological triage. How do we keep from endorsing everything, even doctrines that are bad, or condemning everything and being one of those narrow kind of bigoted legalistic types? I want to suggest this. Al Mohler says we have to practice theological triage. When you go to the emergency room, they don't they don't they don't go take a number and we're going to vote, we're going to we're going to treat the next one who comes in, do they? I'm not an expert on this, but I know that what they do is they treat the next most serious thing it's called triage right it's a french word so in theology al moeller said all bible truths are important but some bible truths are more important than others and so therefore we have to say this bible truth is in this category if you don't believe it you're not saved like the deity of Christ, or the virgin birth, or salvation by grace through faith alone, or the fact of the second coming. If a person denies these things, they're denying the Jesus of the Bible, the truth of the Bible. That's in the first level of spiritual triage without which you can't say you're a Christian. And then there's another level, like for instance, I believe in baptism, immersion of, adult, of, of, of believers. I believe in believers' baptism. I believe the Bible teaches believers' baptism very plainly. And yet, I know there are people whose commentaries I read, people who I would love to have fellowship with, who don't practice that. And yet, I would recognize them as Christians, though I wouldn't be in the same church. We wouldn't be in the same church, but we might go to the same camp, or we might go to the same conference, or we might have coffee and encourage one another. I might read his books or her books. But that would be the second level of triage. Are you tracking with me? So this level is like, if you're not saved if you deny these love this, these things. This level is like, well, we're not in the same church, but we're in the same spiritual family. And then there is this next, this bottom level, if you will, and that is like, when do you think the rapture is going to occur? What do you think the Bible means when it talks about election? We may have differences of opinion, and we may arm wrestle those in a healthy way, and we will be in the same church. Does that make sense? So what I'm getting at is this. Along with other things, Christians need to develop, and I, I I admonish you as, as Bethel people to continue to do what this church has a long tradition of doing. And that is, do not deny the doctrines of the faith, but put them in their right categories. We're not gonna divide over this one here, but we are gonna discuss it. This one over here, though, we're willing to die for that thing. And so I'm challenging you to think that through and to practice this theological triage. Here's another little piece I'll give you. Don't, this is something I've learned over the years that's been really helpful to me when it comes to not being taken in by false teaching. And that is just a real simple thing. Don't take away, don't don't add, don't subtract from the faith, don't add to the faith. Don't subtract from the Bible, don't add to the Bible. So study the Bible, this is called the sufficiency of Scripture. The Bible, what the Bible says comes from God, it's enough. We don't have to add to it to keep ourselves safe. And we certainly don't want to take away from it. And there, this, does this make sense? I was in an organization, which, which in many ways was a good, helpful organization, but I began to realize, as i have been in the organization for years, and I, I paid attention, that there was within this organization a tendency, and with the teachers in this organization, a tendency to add to the scriptures, a, a tendency to teach some extra things just to be safe, you know? And so, you know, it it, it sounds silly when I say it, but let me give you some examples. You know, the Bible warns about debt, but the teacher, the leader taught all debt is always wrong, right? This adding to the scriptures just a little bit. The Bible considers children to be a desired blessing. The leader insisted there are no legitimate forms of birth control, The bible you're like oh now we're now we're getting down yeah the bible teaches parents should train their children to take responsibility for their discipleship but the leader taught this means anyone using public education at any level is disobedient to god just adding are you tracking with me a good teacher but like but wait but adding to the scriptures uh, or, or the bible teaches that women should nurture their children the leader insisted that only a certain philosophy of breastfeeding was even Christian. Uh, or, or this would extend to not having inoculations, as an example. Uh, the Bible teaches that our worship should be pleasing to God. The leader insisted that any rock beat in music is evil, even though that's not really what the Bible teaches. He, he went beyond scripture. It, it, it seemed harmless at the time, but we discovered later that many were seriously damaged by that kind of distortion of the sufficiency of what the Scriptures teach. I mean, I don't want to be silly here, but I remember one time a teaching about little girls shouldn't have cabbage patch dolls. And it was quite an extended teaching, and so there was a big talk about go, go home and, and bring <laughs> burn your cabbage patch dolls, and so there was kind of, a, and people were, were writing, you're looking at me funny, even though you have a mask on, I can tell, by looking at your eyes, you're like, huh, do you, do you get what I'm saying, is that what, what happens is, when you create a kind of religious teaching that takes the Bible, but adds to it a little bit, it doesn't seem bad, it seems safe, but it isn't safe, it's it's a form of disobedience to God. I hate to tell you. It's a form of distorting the scriptures. It's saying the scriptures are not enough. It has bad fruit. Taking away from the Bible is dangerous and bad. Don't do that. Adding to the Bible creates a false kind of like distortion of true teaching, of true religion. And what, what can often happen is young Christians or children can see that and they can be turned away from the faith altogether because they never really even saw the faith. And let me tell you an example. There was a friend that was involved in an organization. He was a, he was a is a a a young man his name and i have permission i I called him the other day had a conversation with him to to ask him if i could have permission to tell you the story because it's an interesting story he was involved in that organization that taught you shouldn't listen to any modern christian music that has a beat kinds of rock beat in it and so the young people in the organization would often kind of do a workaround and they would listen to that music but they would do it you know quietly and they would exchange that music but they would not want to get caught and he was working at the, at the headquarters of this organization, and he decided that he wanted to share some Christian songs with his girlfriend, but they weren't allowed to meet except certain times, so he broke a rule, and they drove to a little church not far from the campus of the organization to secretly meet so they could exchange this Christian music that was kind of off-limits. So imagine now you've got these two young people that are kind of looking furtively around, you know, and they're meeting in in a kind of a secret, and they got to this little church in the parking lot of the church, and they're meeting, and they're exchanging this music when all of a sudden there's a police officer there, and and the lights flip on, and they've got the kid out on the ground, spread eagle, because they're sure he's dealing drugs. So Casey Yoshihara, he said he had, he had my friend over here, and he had me over here, and he separated us, and he began to question us to see if our stories were the same. They were sure we were dealing drugs, but what we were really doing was exchanging Christian music. And I was trying to imagine the poor police officers getting back in the cruiser going, what was that all about? Well, that's funny, isn't it? But, but legalism really isn't funny. It offends young ones. In this organization, I was one of the leaders. Eventually, I was hired by this organization and became one of the leaders of this organization. And, and after I left the organization, they asked me to come back and speak at a conference. And the, the organization had gone through some difficulties, <laughs> some adjustments. And so they asked me, the leaders said to me, well, we've gone through this kind of difficulty. Should we change our name? And in my heart, like, immediately had an answer, and that was no. You should change the content of your teaching. Because if you change your name and you teach the same thing, it's kind of deceptive. It's the same thing with a little trickier name. But we should go through our teaching, and we should make sure that we take out anything where we added to the Scripture. So, Bethel Church, what I'm saying to us is... You have a copy of the Bible, and the main thing is the plain thing, and the plain thing is the main thing, and you have what you need. But look out, because you are going to face an enemy, and it's going to have a religious iteration, and it will influence you and those that you love. And we want to be prepared for that, to resist evil and wrong teaching, to resist adding to the Scripture, and to resist taking away from the Scripture. And some of you might say, well, how could I do that? And that brings me to this. It's, it's, it's a very simple thing. A pastor that I have been have read, his name is John Piper, st- was raised in a really sound home, and he was taught the Bible by very serious, devout people, and he went away to college, and he, and he did well, even though he didn't read very fast. He, he was a very slow reader, and he was always behind because it was difficult for him to do the level of reading that was required. And yet he was diligent, so he would just read very slowly and try really hard. And he advanced, he eventually got his degree, and then he was invited to do graduate study in Germany. His parents were really concerned about him going to Germany to do graduate work because It's well known that in theological institutions in Germany, there were pockets of of unbelief, of theological liberalism, of german higher criticism, of really kind of bad, dangerous teaching. And so over and over again, his dad would warn him, John, when you go and study with those theologians in Germany, you you need to be careful. You need to watch out for false teaching. And he always felt like he was a little behind because he wasn't as well-read as some of his peers because they were such brilliant people. <clears throat> John Piper said one night they were traveling in the German countryside and they stopped for the night at a, at a, like a German lodge uh, a uh, goss house a place where there was uh, food to eat and, and a place to stay overnight and they had their dinner that night he and a number of English speaking graduate students they had their dinner and then after dinner they sat down to have theological discussion. And John said all of it was over his head. These men had read books that he'd not read, and they freely were discussing authors that he had, didn't recognize. All the conversation was just over his head, and he was so intimidated. He said, I decided that what I would do is I would just go to my room early. Because what they were talking about, the books they talked about, I hadn't read. And the people that they were talking about, I didn't know who they were. He said, and when I was about to dismiss myself, to go to my room that night, somebody said something. And, I, and it reminded me of a Bible verse. And so he said, hmm. He said, well, I never read that book, and I don't know that author, but doesn't the Bible say such and such? And when he said that, he said the graduate students all grew silent and didn't have anything to say. Suddenly he realized that if he understood the Bible, even if he wasn't an expert on error, he would recognize error when he heard it. I like to say you don't have to be an expert on manure to know when you were stepping in it. And for us to go forward in the future, we don't have to be brilliant, but we need to be faithful. We don't have to know everything, but we do need to know the book. We don't have to have all the answers, but we do want to know the one who is the answer. I want to pray with you and ask a blessing on you. And then we're going to invite you, if you need somebody to pray with you today, to be saved, or because you have a burden that you need somebody to pray with you, some of our folks are going to come to the front here during my prayer and you can come this way and they'll pray with you if i can be help to you i want i always want to be really available to you and so my cell phone number and my email address are on everything other pastor staff members and, and church workers here do the same thing you can look at the bulletin and you can instantly anytime you can get a hold of us uh, you can get a, go get a hold of me by phone or by email and if you write me or you call me, I will write you back, I will call you back as soon as I can, It'll be a help to you. And so let's stick together, let's follow the Lord, and uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, how grateful we are today for your word. Thank you that we can assemble here. God, thank you for the church of the living God and this little expression of it, our, our faithful body here at Bethel. Thank you for our young people being so well cared for and taught up there at the Springs right now, and as they've concluded their time, I pray that the, the lessons they learn would be so embedded in their hearts that they would walk with you all the days of their life and never turn aside. I pray that you would deliver all who, who, who are uh, precious to us, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors. Use us to win other people to Christ. Help us to be faithful. Give us the mark of God on our life that we would never have any other mark on us. And strengthen our faith, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.